Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Carla Lee Salazar. Cold case solved. Wednesday, June 28th, 1989. Santa Ana, California. Warning, the following episode you're about to listen to might contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. Eight-year-old cold case goes red hot in Orange County. Authorities have arrested a low-die man for the 1989 murder of a Santa Ana woman. Today, investigators told Orange County Bureau Chief Eileen Frere how they cracked the case. This is great. Beautiful. Robert Doherty looks at a photo of his former wife, Carla Salazar, murdered in 1989. Her suspected killer, Doug Guttrich, now in custody. It's very emotional for me. It's been 25 years, and you know what? I have to thank all the police involved, the investigators, the detectives. The 35-year-old transgender woman worked as an AT&T phone operator. She was found stabbed to death in her Santa Ana apartment. Shortly after, Guttrich contacted police. He sought to assist the detective that was working on the case, and he was also believed to be the last person to see Ms. Salazar alive. Guttrich, 37 at the time, was an acquaintance of Salazar. Police say they did not have enough evidence to file charges until recently. With the help of a new Orange County cold case task force involving several agencies faced with nearly 1,000 unsolved cases. In this specific case, Orange County Crime Lab forensic scientists re-examined DNA evidence found on the victim's body and after analysis, connected it to the suspect. The first case solved by the task force. Friends and family of Salazar say it gives them some closure. She's resting in peace now. I know they're going to bring this man to justice and he's going to get what he deserves. Guttrich remains in custody as bail set at $1 million. He's expected to be back in court January 2nd. In Santa Ana, Eileen Frayer, AV. It's Wednesday, June 28th, 1989 in the city of Santa Ana, California. It would be the home where 35-year-old trans-Latina female Carla Lee Salazar would reside. And on that Wednesday morning, around 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, when Carla failed to show up to work, her colleagues and her friends 
immediately became concerned. The Santa Ana Police Department is ringed. Her friends and coworkers ask law enforcement to go out to her apartment and do a welfare check. As Detective Hamilton Smith goes to the apartment complex in Santa Ana where Carla Lee Salazar resides, he reaches out to Anna Choi, the apartment manager at the Sunset Apartment Complex in Santa Ana. They go up to the second floor, apartment 218. Anna Choi opens the door and as the door reveals itself, it will shock even the most seasoned detectives of what is discovered. Welcome my audience to season four, episode 10 of A Hateful Homicide, the murder of Carla Lee Salazar, cold case solved. This case is a case that took 25 years to be solved from 1989 until 2014 when the case was officially solved through the use of DNA. What is interesting about this case too is that the subsequent guilty person, then 37-year-old cisgendered white male Douglas Gregory Guthridge, had been interviewed by Detective Hamilton Smith at the time in 1989 because of the fact that Douglas Gregory Guthridge had a connection to Carla Lee Salazar. And in today's episode, my audience, we're going to talk about what that connection was and how the Orange County um, Police Department, as well as Orange County Sheriff's Office and this cold case task force was all instrumental in not only solving the thousands of cold cases in Orange County, but also prioritizing a trans woman of color's case as their first case to go through. This case really caught my attention just because of the fact that Santa Ana is described as a beautiful city in Orange County, not too far from Anaheim, the home of Disneyland. This this murder shocked the community of Santa Ana and had them really seeking justice for the next 25 years. And not only did or the initial de, um, excuse me, my audience initial detectives working hard on this case as well, but then when they retired, it was now a new triage team um, detectives who came in and continue to solve this case and close it out in 2014. And again, my audience, as we go through today's episode, we're going to hear a little bit more about the city of Santa Ana. We're going to hear from Carla Lee Salazar herself. This would be in um, video um, interviewed back in 1989 when she was asked about her New Year's resolutions. Um, and then we're also going to talk about another cold case, just briefly on how, like, Communities. So many times we hear that our communities, our trans and MB intersex two-spirit communities don't get the reception and the attention that they deserve in the coverage. Um, but here we have Carla's case that was worked on for 25 years and ultimately solved due to DNA. But then there was another case um, that took around the same time, about 20 to 25 years to be solved through the use of DNA as well. And this was also another cold case involving a trans woman. And then as we prepare to conclude um, 
this episode, we're going to hear about some uplifting news out of Orange County. Not only the fact that Carla's case was solved, but also the fact that now, as a member of the trans community, there is someone who is proudly serving in the Orange County's Sheriff's Department. So my audience, let's go ahead and get into this case again, The Murder of Carla Lee Salazar, Season 4, Episode 10, Cold Case Solved. It all began that Tuesday night, June 27th of 1989. Neighbors of Carla Lee Salazar saw her get into an elevator, go into her second floor apartment with a white cisgendered man. He was described as about six foot two, brown hair, fairly attractive. The five foot eight trans Latina female Carla Lee Salazar was bubbly and outgoing. And witnesses had said that they had seen this gentleman come to the Santa Ana apartment multiple times, um, but they never really knew his name. Well, one of Carla's really close friends, Christine McFadden, was able to give Detective Hamilton Smith at the time this information as they're starting to peel back the door and discover the badly stabbed and mutilated body of 35-year-old trans-Latina female Carla Lee Salazar. And when you go back to June 27th of 1989, And this is at this point by audience, Detective Hamilton Smith is now making the death notifications. He's in, in, you know, looking at this gruesome crime scene and he's sending his team out there to assure that um, Carla's loved ones are notified. This not only includes Christine McFadden, Carla's best friend, but also Robert Doherty, Carla's former and ex-husband. Um, They both are shocked and saddened. Carla's parents, Charles Salazar, her father, and her mother, Rosa Salazar, are also given the heartbreaking news. Her maternal grandfather, Hector Rias, he was also very traumatized. This was coming up on his 90th birthday when his beloved granddaughter was brutally murdered. Carla's family was supportive and accepting, and she had a beautiful journey. Carla, on June 27, 1989, at Tuesday, had gotten off of work at AT&T around 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. She had went to the market, the Vons grocery store in Orange County, collected some items. Those things could be seen on a very grainy CCTV footage of Carla shopping at the market. She then goes on my audience to head home. And the apartment complex does have, like, again, grainy CCTV footage. And you can see Carla go into her apartment complex around 6 p.m. She arrives, she takes the elevator up to the second floor. When she gets home, what you can see in the lobby is it looks like a gentleman is waiting for Carla. And as she approaches to come home, she lets him upstairs. Um, They both go upstairs through the elevator. And that is pretty much how this vague mystery man is described for, you know, some time as the man in the elevator. But however, 
when Detective Hamilton Smith reached out to Christine McFadden and Robert Doherty and then provided the witnesses' descriptions, right, her neighbor's descriptions on who could have committed this hateful homicide of Carla Lee Salazar, who could have taken this beautiful 35-year-old trans Latina female and stabbed her multiple times. Based on the description that Detective Hamilton Smith gave Christine McFadden and Robert Doherty, the best friend and former husband of Carla Lee Salazar, Christine McFadden was able to let Detective Hamilton Smith know that the individual that they were describing sounded a lot like 37-year-old cisgendered white male Douglas Gregory Guthridge. Douglas Gregory Guthridge, again, age 37, was a man who came into Carla's life around the um, St. Patrick's Day of 1988, just about... 15 months before the hateful homicide of Carla Lee Salazar. They met when Doug, as he was known by Carla, he had called in um, to make a collect call. And Carla, who worked at AT&T for five years in the switchboard, had was, his, was the operator and was the one he was placing his collect call. Entranced by her beautiful voice and spirit, Doug asked Carla out and the two did ultimately meet for dinner. And they met over at a bistro in Santa Ana. The two would hit it off and for the next year and a half seemed to connect and bond until her hateful homicide on that Wednesday, June 28th of 1989. But before we continue to go into this case, my audience, I want to take a moment and let you get a little bit of the backdrop on where Carla Lee Salazar resided. Hello friends, welcome to a new video, the best things to do in Santa Ana, California, located about 45 minutes south of Los Angeles. Santa Ana is a unique weekend destination in Southern California, offering visitors a selection of museums, interactive exhibits, and activities. Tour the Bowers Museum, which houses artifacts from around the world. Visit the Discovery Cube Interactive Science Museum with kids. Head to the zoo, or see historic planes and vintage cars at the Leonaire Museum. Other fun things to do in Santa Ana include cooking classes, indoor rock climbing, and golf. In the description I leave you a link where you can find all the information of the video as well as price and directions we start with the most important places to visit in Santa Ana. Enjoy a fun-filled day at Discovery Cube. This interactive museum is an amazing place to visit if you are traveling with children. Features over a hundred hands-on exhibits and interactive activities, including dinosaur exhibits, helicopter flight simulator rides, scavenger hunts, coach wheels, Lego, water arcade, simulated ice hockey area, kids grocery store, a kitchen, and many others. Take a look at the much appreciated architecture of the museum which features a large cube made of solar panels. You can watch fascinating 3D movies in the museum's theater. The Bowers Museum. The Bowers Museum, one of Santa Ana's top attractions, is named after Charles Bowers, who donated the land on which the museum stands. Opened in 1936, the original structure is a beautiful Mission Revival-style building. After undergoing two expansions, the current museum is ten times larger than the original building. The main focus of this establishment is to help visitors learn about and appreciate other cultures. To achieve this goal, the Bowers Museum attracts visitors with its collection of more than 10,000 objects from Africa, Asia, and the South Pacific. 
And as you could hear my audience, Santa Ana, there's a lot to do there. And that last tourist attraction, the Bowers Museum, is actually one of the places that 37-year-old cisgendered white male Douglas Gregory Guthridge took, excuse me, 35-year-old trans-Latina female Carly Salazar out on a date when they went out to dinner. After they had dinner at the lovely bistro, they then went over to the Bowers Museum and to enjoy a night of art and and history. However, my audience, as we continue to go through this case, it's really interesting because of the fact that we have these two individuals who had known each other. Carla had welcomed, you know, Douglas into her home multiple times for multiple reasons. And the two did engage in a sexual relationship as well described as friends with benefits that was leading to more. Um, Carla definitely had her own social network and this included again her husband, former husband Robert Doherty, who she was married to from 1977 until 1987, as well as her then newfound relationship with Doug Guthridge from 1988 until her hateful homicide in 1989. However, Carla, as popular and loved as she was, she definitely did come um, have some people who conflicted with her and one of those individuals was by the name of Louise Murdoch. Louise Murdoch was another um, trans Latina woman who resided in Santa Ana and the two had met each other and actually fought over Robert Doherty um, back in the mid-70s when the couple had a little relationship break. Uh, Robert had gotten with Louise, the trans-Latino female, and when he returned to be back with his wife Carla, Louise was not happy about it, and Louise definitely caused um, quite the tension in the marriage of Robert and Carla, so much to the fact that Carla subsequently filed for divorce in 1986 and was finalized in 1987. She then wanted to refocus on herself before meeting Douglas Gregory Guthridge on St. Patrick's Day at a tavern in Santa Ana, California. Um, As the investigation is continuing, the coroner, Moses Hathaway, does this post-mortem and he realizes that these brutal stabs, not only was Carla's next stab slashed from ear to ear, but also post-mortem, um, Coroner Moses Hathaway discovered that um, whomever at the time was the perpetrator back in 1989, again, unidentified at this time, unbeknownst to Detective Hamilton Smith, who worked on this case for 20 years before retiring in 2009. but. Coroner Moses Hathaway told Detective Hamilton Smith back during the autopsy, back on June 29th of 1989, that Carla Lee Salazar's left leg had been attempted to be severed, that she had been attempted to be severed. And when Detective Hamilton Smith had walked into the apartment on that Wednesday morning of June 28th, 1989, That's exactly what he too figured. He saw this beautiful trans-Latina female slain in her bedroom, blood all over the room, her throat slit, her leg barely hanging on. This frightening scene not only shook him, but also the apartment manager, Anna Choi, who had let him in. 
shocked she too is also notifying Carla's neighbors who also were concerned on the second and first floor but also her co-workers who had called the apartment complex asking Anna to go and do a welfare check as well this completely shocked and saddened Carla's friends and families her father Charles her mother Rosa her maternal grandfather Hector um, who subsequently would pass away in 1992 three years later stated that it was one of the most heartbreaking experiences of his life to lose his granddaughter. Again, Carla Lee Salazar was born on November 1st, 1953 to Charles and Rosa Salazar. She was one of six children born to them um, and had this incredible, amazing life, graduating from high school in 1972. And around that same time, Carla began her gender journey and she continued to be herself for herself and was very embraced by her family and her siblings. By 1975, at the age of 22, she had graduated college in a telecommunications degree from Santa Ana Community College, and there she had met 24-year-old cisgendered white male Robert Doherty. The two would begin to date at Santa Ana Community College before ultimately he proposed in 1976, and the two would marry on Valentine's Day of 1977. She was 23, and he was 26. The two hit it off and was married for the next 10 years. However, around 1982, just two years into the 1980 year, as well as one year after the AIDS diagnosis, Robert and Carla began to have problems in their marriage. And ultimately, he had an affair with 22-year-old trans-Latina female Louise Murdoch. The two began this tumultuous affair for the next eight months, and this ultimately led to Carla finding out. The two, Carla and Robert, got back together after this eight-month affair that he had with Louise. The two stayed married until 1986, when Carla subsequently could no longer take the disrespect and they did decide to remain friends, her and Robert, but um, the divorce was finalized just after 4th of July, 1987. And then about 10 months later, she would then go on to meet as a newly divorcee and single woman. She would then go on to meet 37-year-old cisgendered white male, Douglas Gregory Guthridge. Again, these two had this very push and pull, magnetizing yet polarizing love story. He was also married to a cisgendered white female by the name of Linda Gutrich. And Linda uh, was not happy that Carla was coming between her own marriage and confronted Carla, stating that you know what it was like to go and have your own husband have an affair. How dare you participate in something like this? Carla was torn as she felt this attraction and connection and subsequently the two um, Douglas and Carla decided to remain friends so Doug could focus on his marriage but they still would connect from time to time and on that Tuesday night of June 27 1989 that's exactly what Doug and Carla were doing Doug hadn't waited for Carla to get off work and he was at her apartment at the Sunset apartment complex in Santa Ana he waited for her in the lobby and then the two took the elevator up to apartment 218. About, and this was around, again, 5.45 p.m., 
then you could see a grainy footage at this time. There was no idea of who the individual was um, in the initial conversations until Christine McFadden stated based on the physical descriptions that it was Doug or possibly Doug. But what you could see is then around 10.30 p.m. on that um, Tuesday night of June 27, 1989, just a few hours before Carla's body would be discovered that Wednesday morning around 8.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, you can see a gentleman, that same gentleman, wearing that red t-shirt and those khaki shorts walking out of the Sunset Apartment Complex. And people um, were able to state that Douglas Gregory Guthridge had that type of shirt. He was brought in very early on, specifically on the day of June 30th, 1989, that Friday. He was brought in and questioned, and he stated, yes, that that was him, that they had um, a romantic relationship, a casual friendship, um, but he left Carla around 10.30 that night, and she was fine and was alive, and if anyone else came to the apartment um, after him, um, then he doesn't know who that person was. This is what he told Detective Hamilton Smith on that Friday, June 30th of 1989, as he's in interrogation room two. Then, of course, there was Louise Murdoch. She, too, was brought down and placed into Louis, um, interrogation room one. She was questioned about her beef with Carla over Robert. Linda was also brought in and placed in interrogation room number four. And she was questioned about the dynamic between Doug and Carla and how she felt as Doug's wife. So you have all three of these individuals who are in here as potential persons of interest. You have Doug Guthridge, um, a partner of hers. You have Robert Doherty as well, the former husband who they had just divorced 10 months before. Was he jealous that she had moved on to, to Doug? And did this jealousy lead to him murdering his ex-wife? This wouldn't be the first time my audience, right? We know with Diane Delia's case with her husband, Robert Ferrer, that this can happen. However, um, Robert Doherty had an alibi for the night of June 27th, 1989. He was in Palm Springs, California at the time um, for an event. And so um, his witnesses, alibi witnesses were confirmed and his alibi was confirmed. Then my audience, Louise Murdoch's alibi was checked and she was actually out um, on a date with a new gentleman. She had moved on from Robert herself and she was focusing on her new life. And that's what she was doing. And it seemed like the only person who still didn't quite have an alibi was Doug. He stated that, yeah, when he left, he went home and his wife could confirm. Linda did confirm that Doug did come home around 11.15 p.m. And um, his clothes did seem a little shuffled and muffled. But at the same time, she felt that um, he didn't seem to be, like, upset or like he had just been in this stabbing frenzy that we would see over in Carla's apartment, again, on the second floor, apartment 218 in the Sunset Apartments, around 8.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Wednesday, June 28, 1989. 
But I want to take a moment, my audience, and let us hear from Carla. We're going to go back to New Year's Eve, 1988. This is getting ready to kickstart the new year of 1989, just about, unfortunately, six months before the hateful homicide of Carly, Carla Lee Salazar. Was the next. I thought about my characteristics as a person. For instance, I think you know that I'm an introverted person and that I need space alone and time to process the things that happen to me. Knowing this is a key factor for preparing the step number two in this preparation for the New Year's resolutions. So I insist. Take your time to know yourself or maybe to simply confirm how you are, the characteristics that you have. So let's move on to part number two. Number two, because of my introversion and because of the need to have a space alone in time, I added to these resolutions that I was preparing a level of challenge. For instance, number one indicated that it was easy because I was the only one that would notice the real intention of it or the purpose of it. Number two was manageable because the only people that would be around would be my family, so I trust my family, so it would be manageable. And number three, really challenging because I would be outside home on the streets, surrounded by strangers in a city that has witnessed gender-related crimes. In this chart, you can see how I assigned the different levels to each resolution. Keep on letting my hair grow, level of challenge 1. And as you can hear my audience, you know, Carla was in this whole new phase of her journey by 1989. By this point, she had been in her journey for a good 17 years since she graduated high school in 1972. And you could hear where she was just talking about like taking time for herself, right? At this point, she's, you know, a divorcee. She's figuring out um, what her interpersonal relationships are looking like, right? She's conflicting with Louise and Linda, and she's navigating this new life without Robert, and navigating this new situationship with Doug, and, you know, all of this, she just wanted to be and in peace, and this was um, filmed back on December 31st of 1988, going into the 1989 New Year, and what's really heartaching is that you could hear, you know, just how she was loved by her family. She talked about that, you know, and again, that echoes the sentiments of her parents who were completely devastated when they got the, um, the death notification. Her um, mother, Rosa, who is still with us, talks about the fact that, you know, she never thought that she would lose her daughter that way to be stabbed just because of the fact that Carla had been so empowered in her truth for so long that she just felt that at this phase in Carla's life with her professional career as a AT&T switchboard operator and then also just having her own place and you know just being so established with her friend group that this idea of her being murdered for either being trans as we have to put that out there right because again at this time in the initial investigation 
investigation in 1989, there is no evidence of who exactly committed the hateful homicide. Again, Detective Hamilton Smith had brought in for potential persons of interest. And Douglas Gregory Guthridge was the only one who kind of had this loose alibi, but was utilizing his um, then wife, Linda Guthridge, um, as his alibi. Nonetheless, you know, Carla's family, her parents, her siblings, her three brothers and her two sisters, her maternal grandfather, Hector, you know, had all talked about the love that they had for Carla and the love that she had for them. They talked about her patience with them, especially utilizing the correct pronouns and stating her name correctly and just really being proud of her and that how that took time, but within time that they became a family stronger than ever. And, you know, again, what's really heart aching is that in that 1989 year, you know, just um, a couple of months before her hateful homicide, she and her mom and her sisters were all planning her maternal grandfather's 90th birthday. And though the family did go on to celebrate that birthday um, in August of 1989, the impact and the loss of Carla not being there was very felt and it was very substantial and it impacted Charles, her father, who would ultimately um, pass away just one year before the case, this cold case, would be solved by audience. Her maternal grandfather, again, Hector um, Ramirez, would ultimately die um, and pass away in 1992 and never knew exactly what um, and who committed the hateful homicide of his beloved 35-year-old trans-Latina granddaughter. As we continue to go through this case, my audience, once these four persons of interest was all cleared, the coroner and the forensics team had all done some DNA swabbing under Carlos Finga's nails, as well as some blood sm um, smeared and palm prints that were on some of the bedding and the walls. They were able to take all of this, and around 2009, fast forwarding 20 years, Detective Hamilton Smith and his team had been working on this case for 20 years tirelessly and unfortunately um, they had obtained a slight DNA partial that was kind of linking towards one of the persons of interest but it wasn't quite definitive and so that was around 2009 as Detective Hamilton Smith and his team was preparing to retire at that same time because this case at this point had become a cold case for now 20 years and at this point Charles and um, Rosa Salazar was still both alive and was seeking justice for their daughter. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, again, Charles never got to um, know who that person was, though the family always had their suspicions. However, when we continue to go through this case, we're going to go to 2013. It's November 23rd. Charles Salazar has passed away. The cold case team of the Orange County Cold Case Task Force, this included Police Corporal Anthony Bertangia, as well as Police Chief Carlos Rojas. They all worked on this case beginning in 2009 um, up until um, 2016. 
this case had captured the hearts of the DA by the name of Larry Yellen, who was one of the few prosecutors who had stayed, um, who had was part of the initial um, kind of DA investigative team back in the early 90s, but himself did not become a DA until around 2009. So you had Larry Yellen, Anthony Bertangia, and Carlos Rojas, who were all working on this Orange County Task Force to essentially get justice for Carla. And by 2014, this would be September 12th of 2014, this cold case was officially solved when the DNA definitively confirmed that now 63-year-old white cisgendered male Douglas Gregory Guthridge was the suspect and the guilty person for the hateful homicide of Carla Lee Salazar back on the night of June 27, 1989, leaving her body brutally stabbed, her throat slit, her body stabbed through all of her upper and lower torso, as well as almost trying to decapitate and mutilate her limbs. This completely shocked the community, especially those who knew Douglas Gregory Guthridge as this law-abiding citizen, this golf player and community pillar of Orange County, who was not only involved with this trans woman who had this affair with a trans woman while married to his wife back in the late 80s, but also he committed this hateful homicide of someone that he had spent the past 15 months in a romantic relationship with. Carla trusted him. They connected on the, the phone lines, which she did best, right? Making people connect through phone calls. And she did that for him. And he pursued her and wooed her. He knew her gender identity. And that did not stop him from committing that hateful homicide on that Tuesday night, June 27, 1989. And what I want to do for a moment, my audience, is just take um, for you to hear that initial news clipping back on June 28th, 1989, when Carla Lee Salazar's body was discovered. PD, we will get you more information as soon as it becomes available. We want to check in with assignment manager Mark Liu with breaking news right now in Santa Ana, Mark. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Sky 2 coming up overhead right now in Santa Ana at McFadden and Main Street. Santa Ana PD say they are responding here. Very large crime scene. They have a woman who has reportedly been stabbed and taken to the hospital. We don't have a condition on her yet. They say that a suspect did flee from the scene. They are looking for that suspect. We also have no description. We are in contact with Santa Ana PD. and We will get you more information as soon as it... That was the initial news clipping audio back from 1989 after Carla Lee Salazar was discovered brutally murdered and stabbed. However, Carla wasn't the only cold case that was occurring. In 1994, an incredible, beautiful trans-Latina female was brutally, brutally murdered. And this really left the community completely devastated. This case remained unsolved, um, a cold case for many, many years to come. Um, it all started around in Contra Costa um, County uh, when the Concord Police Department discovered the brutally bad body of a transgender woman murdered. And this left them seeking justice for many years to come up in East Bay. And what you'll be able to hear my audience is how that community too worked tirelessly to assure that justice was served for this trans woman. So many times we, you know, we as trans folks have 
this mistrust of law enforcement. We don't sometimes think that they have the best intentions and that oftentimes when our cases are cold, they stay cold. But not only was Carla's case solved, but also the case of this incredible transgender woman here. Tonight, Concord police, with the help of the FBI, say they've cracked open a cold case almost 29 years old. A trucker in Utah was tracked down and arrested for the East Bay murder of Terry Ladwig, who identified as transgender. ABC 7 News reporter J.R. Stone is following the new clues tonight and was the only one to speak with Ladwig's longtime friend. I never thought it was going to be solved. Uh, I screamed over the phone. That is the moment when we told Brittany Shores that murder suspect James Grimsley of Utah had been arrested last Thursday in her friend Terry Ladwick's killing. 28-year-old Ladwick was killed in a Concord apartment a little more than 28 years ago. She was a great woman. I mean, she had a great personality. She made people laugh, you know. She brightened, you know, my day when she came in, you know. We talked about uh, transgender issues and, you know, the laws that we didn't have back in those days that we have today. Ladwick identified as transgender, and even though it was 1994, she was married to a U.S. Navy sailor at the time of the killing. Her husband is not a suspect, but was the one who found her body inside their apartment after being away on military leave. Concord police tell us that he has been notified of the arrest. Police say she had been beaten and strangled to death. Is there any sort of belief that this could have been a hate murder, that uh, she could have been killed because she was transgender? You know, we're not certain of the motive, but that is certainly a possibility. Police say the suspect in Ladwick's murder, Grimsley, is a truck driver. They won't say how they linked him to the killing, but do say they had been working closely with the FBI and Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office over the last six to eight months to make the arrest. Shores, who identifies as transgender herself, has questions for the suspect. Did you know? Did you know she was trans? Did you get, um, how would I say that word? Hobbit uh, phobic and went crazy on her? Um, I know she was tied up with the telephone cord. Um, but what, what was he thinking about? James Grimsley is behind bars right now in Utah. He is being held on a $1 million fugitive warrant. Police, though, are hopeful to extradite him back to the Bay Area very soon. J.R. Stone, ABC 7 News. And as you can hear my audience, law enforcement in California have been working tirelessly on cold cases involving our trans community. And these are two that have been solved. Carla Lee Salazar's from 1989 and Terry Ladwick's from 1994. I also wanted to take a moment, my audience, and let you all hear from these incredible podcasters, uh, one by the name of Mad, and they covered the hateful homicide of Carla Lee Salazar and have their own take on why this case captivated them. Um, it, it happened, we did it because it also plays into my fascination with science and DNA and how things work. But like you were pointing out, it was solved because of DNA and some of our other cases, they're working with DNA projects and cold cases in order to get them solved. And it was a DNA cold case task force. It was basically a cold case task force that worked with the DNA um, that was located that they, were, they weren't able to do anything with at the time of 
the crime, but um, in the last 10 plus years, of course, things have evolved greatly and we've, we have more technology now. So we will find out more about that when we're coming up next when we talk about Carla Lee Salazar. And we are back talking today about Carla Lee Salazar. This is an interesting case. Uh, happened in California. Ultimately, it took several years for us to find out who did it. Um, and that came about, as Matt was talking about a minute ago, because of DNA that they had recovered from the scene of the crime. It remained unsolved for all of those years. New technology was allowed them to check that again with the cold case task force and they were able to narrow it down to this man the dna matched the scene of the crime right so carla lee salazar was born in um august 28th of 1953 and she was found stabbed to death in her apartment on june 29th of 1989 so in 1989 you know we did not have um dna testing you know they collected evidence they and there's not a lot publicly available to us either um there are some things mentioned in various articles i found but that's about it we know she was a phone operator and lived alone in her apartment and by all accounts she seemed to have had a normal um job normal i mean a normal life you know this didn't seem to be a uh situation where we've had where somebody you know found during uh, an encounter or some kind of social interaction where they discovered she was trans and attacked her. Um, so the, the person suspected of her crime is, well, at the time he was 37 year old Douglas Gutridge. So he saw articles about her crime in the register and called detectives and said he wanted to help because he was a friend. They had a consensual friendship. They had a consensual sexual relationship and they were friends and he has always maintained that. And he's always maintained his innocence as well. So in 1989, evidence was collected, and then essentially the case went cold until 2008. And then based on some this cold case task force that we mentioned earlier, they reexamined everything, and they located DNA from an unknown male, which uh, turned out to be Gutridge. And so now, um, they, but that doesn't mean just because he was there in the apartment doesn't necessarily mean he, you know, attacked her or did anything because he was a friend of hers. He, you know, yeah, did, I think you know, what was interesting is that he, it had been the 25 years, you know, ultimately from her death until we were able to come up with this, who done it by this task force. But if we look at it, like in 2009, he voluntarily gave a DNA sample to the police but at that time there wasn't enough evidence to detain him and as you could hear my audience just a little snippet of their own take on this hateful homicide of Carla Lee Salazar her case has captivated the entire country as it again this was the first cold case solved by the Orange County Cold Case Task Force back on September 12th of 2014 and you know, my audience, that same year in 2014, there was a lot of great momentum that was happening. This was the first time in 20 years where someone of the LGBTQ plus community was now serving in law enforcement for the Orange County Sheriff's Office. 
Orange County, um, a more conservative county, uh, was trying to be more progressive and definitely by solving the cold case of Carla Lee Salazar thanks to DA Larry Yellen and police um, corporal Anthony Britannia as well as police chief Carlos Ruiz. All of this ultimately led to um, them working tirelessly on this case, but then also they wanted to do more than that. They also wanted to make sure that for a community that are um, trans and NB, non-binary, non-conforming, intersex and two-spirit, that they have opportunities to serve on law enforcement. And so just a month after um, Douglas Gregory Guthridge was arrested in September um, 12th of 2014, uh, just a month late on October 13th of 2014, we had the first official transgender deputy hired. County Sheriff's Office is making history. First transgender deputy is now out on patrol. Deputy Rebecca Storozik says that she joined the Sheriff's Office in November of 2012, eventually came out as transgender. Early on, she says she was dealing with some dress code issues. However, she says her teammates have been 100% supportive throughout the process. They've been great since the beginning. My co-workers are the, some of the ones that are carrying me through this. From what I'm hearing, they're, they're establishing a policy for transgender employees. It's good to hear. Deputy Starozik says that she knows there's going to be some adversity out there. However, she still plans to protect and to serve no matter what. And again, that was Detective Rebecca Starozik, an open and proud trans woman who was um, sworn into the Orange County Sheriff's Office back on October 13th of 2014, where she still serves to this day. And she was also very instrumental in working on that code case task force, um, connecting with them after um, the hateful homicide of Carla Lee um, Salazar had been solved, and just thanking, um, again, Anthony Britannia and Carlos Rojas. Um, the trial for Douglas Gregory Godrich, who pleaded not guilty, um, began around April 30th of 2015. DA Larry Yellen argued for the prosecution on behalf of the state of California and Carla Lee Salazar. And then you had his own defense attorney as well. And his defense's attorney was named Christine Adams. And she argued that um, Douglas Gregory Guthridge always are, um, maintained his innocence. His wife, Linda Guthridge, um, now at this point his ex-wife, and she had recanted her story, but at the time argued that due to spousal privilege that she um, could not argue against Doug, but also the fact that the still adhered to her then verified um, valid 25-year alibi, despite the fact that DNA was discovered. DNA, which stands for deoxyribonucleic acid, is pivotal when it comes to solving a lot of cases. It's the science and it's the proof. And what this ultimately proved, this double helix DNA was collected under the fingernails of Carla Lee Salazar, where she clawed. And you could also see where there was a bloody palm print. And all of this was ultimately collected and then um, confirmed to be that of then uh, now um, 63-year-old Douglas Gregory Guthridge. However, on Friday, September 16th, 2016, before Douglas Gregory Guthridge could even get a full year to serve in his, um, his, his crime, as he had been convicted on May 17th of 2015, 
about a year or so into his sentence, where he was sentenced to death um, for the hateful homicide of Carla Lee Salazar, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And on that Friday of September 16, 2016, he succumbed to his illness and passed away at the age of 65. It has been now over six years since his um, since his own death, and now over 30 years since the hateful homicide of Carla Lee Salazar. And as we prepare to conclude this case, my audience, it involved a lot. Ultimately, Louise Murdoch, Linda Guthridge, and Robert Doherty were all cleared. Robert Doherty was at the press conference when um, Douglas Gregory Guthridge was first convicted. He stated that he always felt in his spirit that Carla's um, hateful homicide was committed by someone that she was romantically involved with. And he knew a little bit about her relationship with Douglas and based on Doug's jealousy and the feeling and fear of that Carla was going to go back to Robert and leave him that he strongly always felt that Doug was the perpetrator also Carla's mom Rosa Salazar stated the same thing she stated that she always felt that Doug Guthridge was responsible as you heard from uh, Matt and Max that they talked about the fact that he was inserting himself into the case and also the fact that he continued to change his story up and then that how his DNA even back in 2009 was almost partially linked but it took a little bit more of that um, stronger DNA measures around 2014 for it to officially confirm that he was the perpetrator for the hateful homicide of Carla Lee Salazar. And as we prepare to conclude this case, my audience, I want to say to Carla Lee Salazar, we remember you, born 1953 and resting on since 1989. We remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, and always. Thank you all so much, my audience, for tuning in to season four, episode 10 of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenner Robinson. I am your host. Please check us out on Instagram and Facebook at A Hateful Homicide. Check out our website at ahatefulhomicide.net. You can also follow me at Mallory Jenner 90 Please um, take a listen to and where we're available now on Audible, iHeartRadio, um, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, as well as, um, goodness, there's so many others. <laughs> we're just continuing to grow and glow my audience, but just take a listen and know that um, we are here also on Amazon Music. So um, just continue to grow and glow. Again, my sister Carla Lee Salazar, born November 1st, 1953, and resting on since June 28th of 1989. Keep glowing and keep growing, baby girl. Thank you, my audience. And as we prepare to slowly but surely wrap up season four with about two to three more episodes, please continue to show your support. Thank you all for what you do, and I appreciate you. And again, until next time, bye-bye.